Welcome to another episode of Access Answers. I'm your host, Julia Vergara, along with Angela O'Pry, and today we're introducing y'all to a new member of Access Science's executive leadership team. Welcome, Josh, our new Vice President of Business Development. We're so excited to have you on the team and your very first podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Glad to be here. So you just joined. It's probably been, what, 25 days now, 30 days if we're looking at the calendar. Tell us about your first month with Access Sciences. Sure. So uh, started October 1st, been meeting a lot of the new team members um, from Texas and from afar, um, been getting to know our services and all the th- great things that we do around here and hoping to support those and help those grow. Yes, we look forward to all that you are here to accomplish and help to grow our company and especially in marketing. We are going to be very close, fast friends. So we look forward to partnering with you and working together in our endeavors. So before you join, tell us about your excursions right before your first stay with us. Sure. So I would have started sooner than October 1st, (laughs) but, you know, I had some plans. Just some important ones. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of them was um, I decided to climb a mountain and I trained for almost two years to do that. It took me five days to get to the top. And it was the hardest thing physically I've ever done before. Um, I could not wait to get down. To give it some perspective, I burned roughly about 51,000 calories. And um, so they they equate that to running four half marathons, four days in a row. So um, and then on top of that, we got caught in a hailstorm and lightning storm. We were close to uh, base camp, which was about 12,500 feet. And uh, we had to take cover because there was a couple of rock avalanches happening. And so that was, that was, that was great. So once I got that out of the way, um, <laughs> I took a personal trip and then I got engaged to the love of my life. So, Congratulations. Yeah. So, Good choice. Uh, yeah. Thanks. That's what she says too. Um, about herself, not me. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, uh, went to Ireland, um, had a very nice proposal on sleeve leak cliffs i did it at sunset and then um we rented a castle so uh, it was very romantic so that was why i could not start till october 1st but happy to be here and uh definitely thanked all of our colleagues for letting me get through all that before i started which mountain did you climb uh mount rainier in outside seattle wow okay any sales lessons or anything for business development that would relate to climbing the mountain, do you think? Uh, sure. So anything that uh, there's no cutting corners. Mm. Um, you can't cheat the mountain. You can't cheat sales, right? Yeah. You don't get anything out of it, what you don't put into it. Um, so hence the training and everything. Um, I would get up at five in the morning, train for three or four hours a day, and then Uh, Knowing that, you know, mentally, you know, it was going to be a grind. Sales is a grind. Sales is a roller coaster, right? There's peaks and valleys. And uh, there's an old quote for sales. It says, if you go three out of 10, you're a Hall of Famer. So there's a lot of failure involved, but also too, um, sales is about building relationships, about building rapport with your clients, Mm -hmm. uh, becoming a trusted advisor, being honest with them, which is somewhat of a lost art in this day and age. And it's not really that hard if you just treat people ethically and morally and then yeah. sell them what they they need and, you know, uh, be able to not 
try to win the million dollar deal, but sell them something that they want. So that's basically my principles. So you mentioned waking up at 5 a.m. to work out, and I'm sure that that was on a regimented schedule. How did you overcome the days when you woke up and you're like, not today? Um, I would say that I would think about me being on the mountain where I could have told myself, hey, I should have probably got those extra two days in or something. Uh, whenever I would sit there and be like, oh, I'm going to hit snooze and just, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I would think about that. Like, you know, if I get up and work out, that's just going to make me better prepared and not be as surprised. The elevation change was uh, quite substantial on some days. And there was like one moment where I was basically on a Stairmaster for six hours straight going through a boulder field. So, I mean, Yikes. most people do 45 minutes on the stairs and that's a great workout. Well, yeah, that's, yep, that's me. <laughs> I was, I was going to have to do eight times that. And that was just like one day. So That's a no for me, dog. <laughs> yeah, those are the things I thought about thinking of, okay, if I can't get up for this. And even the days that we did climb, we were up at 3 a.m. most of the time. Is that the most difficult climb you've ever done? Oh, yeah, hands down, for sure. And I'm not like an expert by any means. I've only done a couple of others, but they were way easier than this, like way easier. So when people tell me they go hiking or climbing, you know, I, I kind of like, okay, did you put the backpack behind you and just go sing <laughs> to your iPod on the way up the mountain? Or were you like stressing out and tying off and doing a grade five climb? So. Oh, gosh, that's making me feel bad about my climbing experience. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next? You have another mountain identified or not yet? Uh, some people call it a mountain. Some people call it a wedding. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, uh, no mountains in my future. I promised my fiance I would take a little break from that for a little while. Yeah, I but, think I remember asking you during your interview about that life insurance policy. I'm sure she was real nervous. Yeah, no, no mountains in the near future. <laughs> um, like sometimes, though, some people may do an Ironman. You know, I think mm -hmm. that's much worse than what I did. But mentally, you're like, never again. And then like two months, three months later, it's like, well, maybe so. And so, but I haven't gotten that far yet. But obviously, I've got some other things I'm focusing on right now. But probably not in 2022, but maybe in 2023, I'll find something. That's a good long-term goal. Let's get through the wedding first, maybe. Yeah. Get you married. There you go. <laughs> so after the engagement, you did some golfing, right? I did. I played um, 12 rounds of golf in Ireland and Scotland. Nice. And um, it was something we're supposed to do in 2020. And unfortunately, COVID squashed that. So we replanned everything. And luckily, we were able to get back on the same golf courses. And uh, it's a different style of golf. Uh, you know, um, compared to here in the States or anywhere else in the world, you got wind, you got weather, there's link style, you know, there's not many trees and it's very narrow. And, you know, the, um, the rough is like three or four feet tall. So I definitely feel like I'm a better golfer coming back from that because the forgiveness of error there is much smaller than say here uh, over there. Also too, they do not believe in golf carts. Oh. So I uh, walked every round and there was three days we walked two rounds. So those days I walked like 16 or 17 miles and the rest of the days was about 10. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was a great experience. I learned, I learned a lot of things about my golf game and I was forced to do things uh, that I normally wouldn't think about doing. And it kind of 
brought it all together of like this is what golf is all about forcing you to do things you're uncomfortable or not you know comfortable with but to know that i was in a golf clubhouse that was built in 1402 you know and then played next to a friary that was built in 1157 kind of put things in perspective amazing did they make you wear a kilt thankfully no because not everybody <laughs> would have been running away from me but um uh, no kilts, lots of, uh, wind resistance and rain gear. I played a golf course by the name of Royal Portrush, which hosted the British open a couple of years ago. And we were on the 13th hole and all of a sudden we saw these dark clouds and it started hailing on us. Oh my gosh. And there's no trees, nowhere to take cover. So we basically opened up our umbrella and hid behind our little golf bag and had Seems a like you're on. really unlucky when it comes to hail. Mind <laughs> you. So yeah, um, that part was was not fun, but the rain gear uh, was was my version of the kilt, I guess. How were? Uh, did you eat lots of fish and chips? What was what's the food like over there? Or shepherd's pie? I think is popular. Uh, fish and chips were good. the The burgers were actually pretty good. Hmm. Um, and then uh, lots of oh, what was the name of that fish? Not cod, but there was another one that was like a regular one over there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, fish is very much high on the list. And then Guinness, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, fish and chips were a staple and it was fried and didn't really matter because I was burning a ton of calories per day. So I needed the, the extra energy. You earned that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm excited to host the GHP golf tournament in just a few weeks and sponsor a hole there. That'll be exciting. Julia and I were trying to figure out what women wear in November when it's chilly outside because I'm not wearing khaki pants, I can tell you that. It'll probably be pretty warm here, but um, but yeah, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that's out there. Uh, golf has definitely become a universal sport. You know, it's very inclusive now and, you know, women especially are included in that, which I think is great. You see that in the apparel, I think, in one of the golf pro shops I went into. I mean, it was almost like 50-50 divided down as far as apparel, whereas 10 years ago, there was like one little rack and everything else was, you know, but now I just think that it's, the game has come a long way and I think it's a great testament for for things that are going to happen, but I'll I'll make some recommendations for you for uh, (laughs) golf apparel so you can, you can have some swag out there. We appreciate it. Yeah. We're both just more concerned about the aesthetic than learning how to play. We're like, we just need to look cute. That's what matters. Angela, you're (laughs) exposing us. That's true. I am spilling the tea. Yeah, well, that should be fun. I'm excited to get involved with GHP and also do some other golf tournaments next year. I think we have some planned. So, Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a little bit different approach for uh, the company than it's been traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a great networking opportunity. It's a great marketing opportunity for us to get our branding out there, for us to, you know, educate people what it is that we do. Um, like the whole sponsorship that we're doing coming up, everybody's got to stop by the hole and say hello to us. So it's not like we have to go chase everybody down, you know, <laughs> that we normally would at a conference, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think once people, you know, meet us and and, you know, take some good swag that we'll pick out for them, you know, it's definitely a great way to meet people and to get the conversation started. So I hope that it's successful. Yeah, I think it will be. My favorite are the little golf pencils that say, who's your caddy? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) 
golf, uh, there's a lot of like funny stuff like that out there these days. You know, there's one t-shirt out there. It's says, uh, I'm the greatest three putter in the world, you know, because if you three putt on the green, that means that you've ruined your hole. <laughs> and, um, if you never want a three putt in golf and uh, it's just all these funny things, just like the pencil. Mm-hmm. Great. So we kind of skipped around and talked more about you personally and some of the things going on in your life lately, but tell us more about your experience in sales and your journey, your career path that led you to access sciences. Sure. Um, I'll start at the beginning personally, then transitioning. Uh, I was born in Texas, raised in Fort Worth. And then I began working when I was 12 years old for my family owned steel business. My mother was the president and CEO of that business. And I wanted a bicycle when I was 12, like all the other cool kids in the neighborhood. So my mother told me you, you can get down to the shop and, you know, sweep the floors and pick up scrap metal and, um, clean the bathrooms and things like that. And I'll pay you a dollar 50 an hour. So at 12 years old, I was working like, I don't know, like 20 hours a week. So, um, 20, you know, $30, man, I thought I was rolling in it. Right. <laughs> Take me the whole summer to buy that bicycle. So, um, after that summer, I worked for my parents until I was 26 years old. And then I worked for a, a bunch of great companies during that time, like Bell Helicopter, uh, Lockheed Martin was our number one client. So I was very familiar with, you know, the big, uh, type entities, but I wanted to go out and kind of start my own career outside of the family business. So I decided to work for a software company that allowed me to move to Houston. And so I was the first employee uh, for that company in Houston, Texas. And then I worked there for about seven years and grew it. Um, we had some great success with a bunch of oil and gas companies. And then they were acquired and I decided to move on to another opportunity with another software firm and um, worked for there for a little while and then worked in consulting as well. And that cons- that side was basically around professional services around commercial off-the-shelf software. So helping companies uh, do the requirements and build out enterprise systems for environmental health and safety, quality, risk, and things like that. So I kind of went from the product side to the services side uh, since I've been in Houston. And I very much enjoy the consulting side. Uh, You know, I always gauge my success as I don't want to do just one project and be over you know, I want to have like 10 or 15 clients that I've worked for for like 15 years and then look back and say that, you know, we've, we've done it right. So got me really excited to come to Access Sciences was that I saw um, a great opportunity with a great company that I thought my attributes and my strengths would fit in nicely here with the culture and with uh, the services that we had. And um, once I went through the interview process, you know, I, I definitely thought that it was a good fit for me and my family and also hopefully for Access Sciences, which obviously so. But I think, um, you know, we have a lot of great things here and a lot of things that we do well. And I think we do things well that we don't know we do well yet. And so I hope to help make those shine and, you know, help educate us from my previous history. Access Answers is owned and operated by Access Sciences. We are a consulting and business process outsourcing firm specializing in information governance, technology enablement, and business strategy. Since 1985, our dynamic team of experts have been committed to meeting each of our clients' unique information needs. 
If you're interested in partnering with Access Sciences, send us an email at info at Well, I think I mentioned before, we are very excited to have you on the sales and marketing team. And I don't think we would have allowed anyone to join the team that didn't have a dog because Julia and I are big dog people. <laughs> so we should introduce the other member of your family since you've told us about Stephanie the Aggie. Tell us about Hudson. Yeah, so um, Hudson's a 12-year-old lab mix that I rescued. Had him since he was about three or four months old. And um, he is the most spoiled dog on the face of the planet. <laughs> um, he's uh, recovering right now from back surgery. Uh, unfortunately, he had a ruptured disc, but um, he lives the life of, of most of us dream of. I drive to Wyoming every summer to take him <laughs> to go run the rivers and the mountains with me You know, during the day. Um, if I didn't have him, I would fly up there. And uh, But I take that for him, and I take him on road trips. I took him this weekend up to Fort Worth just so he could see my parents and stuff. So he is, he's like a child to me and he is somebody that I rescued. Um, I'm a big believer in rescues. Um, I believe that there's so many good animals out there that need good homes. And I have this, you know, innate feeling that he knows that I rescued him. So he's very loyal and very, you know, appreciative of it. And I mean, he's a great dog too. I mean, he's, He's very obedient, you know, he's very well mannered in public and, but I love him to death. Like he's, he's like my child. We love our fur babies. Absolutely. So how does he do in the car ride to Wyoming? Because Julia and I were just talking about Benji going back and forth from Houston to Dallas. Yeah. So, uh, I have a large SUV, so I am able to put, I buy the largest dog bed, which is like memory foam, whatever. So it's almost like a twin size mattress in the back. <laughs> He's just relaxing back there, isn't he? Yeah, he is. <laughs> and, um, I stop every three or four hours, you know, especially when I get gasoline, I'll stop for an extra amount of time and let him just kind of stretch his legs out and, and do whatever. But he sleeps most of the time. So. And then I stay at hotels that are very dog friendly. Um, uh, the one hotel I stay at, they bring him dog bowls they have dog treats they have his own dog bed in there so like i said he's not hurting when he's traveling <laughs> um and then you know if we were at home he'd be sleeping anyway so so julia it sounds like you need to get a big dog bed for benji in the back i know i have two comforters back there but i was telling angela earlier he just does not want to get in the car anymore he's not for it he knows he's going to be in there for four hours and he's not a happy not a happy pup when I ask him to jump in now. I, you know, I got mine started early on, so I just make it kind of part of it. And then he used to have a brother, and so his name was Hogan, so we called him H and H. Oh, that's and, cute. Um, I would take them to one of the big dog parks here around Houston every Saturday. So whenever they got in the truck, and then we went to the dog park, they they were like, "Oh, we're going to the dog park." So mentally, when they get in the car, they think they're going to the dog park. <laughs> Is it the one downtown? Uh, it's one. It's one on the far west side of town, out by ninety nine in like Westheimer, the Millie okay. Bush Dog Park. It's huge. I don't know how many acres it is, but it takes my dogs like two minutes if they run full speed all the way across. I told Julia to put. You know, we just had that Houston has five k. I said just put a little Fitbit on Benji. She has a German Shepherd. Just put the t shirt and the Fitbit on him. He'll run the five k for you. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. Let him out in the backyard. He'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Record time. 
Awesome. Well, we love dogs, and so we can't wait to see Hudson. Olivia is here sleeping next to me, just like a little sidekick. Yeah, and since I run social media, he is bound to appear on access <laughs> pages at some point. <laughs> so I know you and I have talked a bit about ESG and kind of what we're seeing in the marketplace. What's your feeling on opportunity for that in the next six months to a year? Based upon my experience, I think that that is um, a huge opportunity uh, that's come to the forefront because of COVID. You know, a lot of companies running skeleton crews and, and things like that of needing to be able to keep operations running, but also to minimize their risk. And, um, you know, it just added a whole new dimension to the way that we report and, and do things. Obviously, environmental is a big part of that right now. Um, given the current state of everything. Um, but if anything was associated with uh, those three letters uh, with the major, you know, Fortune 500 companies, you know, they they are looking to invest and, and try to grow that. And uh, I believe that it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg for, you know, where we're going. And um, I think it's going to be around for a while. Um, ESG is something that, has kind of been out there, but not really talked about until COVID. And then now it's it's ever evolving. There's not one clear definition. I do get that, but uh, depending on what industry and what vertical you're you're associating it with. But I think as it time progresses, it will definitely um, be more defined than what it is now. But I think it's I think it's here to stay, and I think it's uh, a lot of companies are valuing that as part of their future for sure. Julia wrote two blogs about ESG, I think. Yeah, two. Mm-hmm. One about information's role in ESG. Specifically around the governance component, I believe. Mm-hmm. It seems like in order to even create an ESG report, a company or an organization has to have access to the data, the information, make mm-hmm. sure it's accurate, accessible. So how do you even gather in a large enterprise-wide company, how do you gather all of that succinctly and what you put out and to the public, make sure that it's a real representation? Mm-hmm. seems like that'd be a challenge. There are a lot of opportunities from the information side that aren't being met yet or fulfilled yet, but we have lots of roles to play in ESG, I think. Yeah, I think the bigger the company, my experience is the bigger the company, the more decentralized it is. You know, uh, there's just so many business units and so much criteria. Uh, there's so many ways that they report on it and they just try to consolidate it, but keep everything running. I think now, you know, they've realized that they've got to not do that or make a concerted effort to try to know where all their information is so they can report on it because that's at the end of the day is driving the shareholder price. Mm-hmm. And that's what's um, another big driver of, of this entire thing. And then you'll see companies that may have had 14 audit systems, you know, one's in this division, one's in that division, Mm -hmm. but that means they have 14 licenses and 14, at least 14 people trying to consolidate it to report into something. And I think that, uh, that's, that's going to be a thing of the past here in about five to seven years. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, I know we hope to get more content out about ESG in the future. That's certainly one of our goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that would be great. And, you know, as 
as it evolves, you know, we'll be, we'll be right there, you know, as Access Sciences is as a company, you know, we are not a large corporation, but we're very agile and very, very quick to market and then be able to do that to assist our clients. And I think as time rolls on, you know, we will, we will get up to, up to speed faster than other companies can because we need a lot of approvals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you see any other trends or have you picked up on anything in the last year and a half since COVID and the way that businesses are shifting or changing priorities? Uh, I think there's definitely some digital initiatives. You know, I think everybody kind of thought that was like a conceptual idea like five to 10 years ago. And it's starting to, you know, be on the uptick more and more. And I think this just kind of everything has to be digital. Everything has to be transparent. Everything has to be easily accessible. How do you do that? You know, you make things, um, you know, in the cloud. So cloud solutions and lots of people spending money around, you know, software solutions that help them make informed decisions quickly versus biweekly meetings and five people consolidating off of certain databases. Um, I think one of the big things in my experience has been a lot of the organic systems that were custom built by companies in-house that had ID to, IT departments are getting sunsetted right now. Um, mm -hmm. I would say if they didn't have a system already, you know, those, those types of companies have, I would say 75%, the ones I've interacted with, it's like, oh yeah, we built this like 15 years ago. It's just too much to maintain. But now this, like we don't have the developers, we don't have this. And so uh, the organic type systems that was used to manage data and record and report on, those are going away at a very high rate. Yeah, it seems like they would be really clunky if you're not continuing to put the R&D into it and continuous innovation. They can yeah. be outdated very quickly. Yeah, I mean, and everything we do today is very easily accessible no matter what we're doing in life. It's probably on a mobile app. Mm -hmm. And a lot of software companies have made it to where it's out of the box and requirements and best practices are already built in. And, you know, and before we'd have to sit down and basically construct the whole thing. Now you don't have to do that. And I think companies are seeing that like, well, we don't have to pay the IT department. We don't have to use 30% of our IT budget every year. Mm -hmm. You know, we can just use this and pay a subscription. Voila. Yeah, I think security has also come a long way. So some of the systems that were built 15 years ago likely weren't taking that into consideration. Very true. And that's another, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Another big driver is, is like, well, how safe is my data going to be in the cloud? Mm -hmm. A lot of these, you know, solutions that are out there have been tested and tried so many times. Um, I knew of some really top Fortune 100 companies that actually hired computer hackers to see if they could break into a system before they bought it from a vendor. I was like, what? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, security is a huge thing. Certificates and, you know, and all those types of things are, are definitely available because that's usually one of the top five questions. If somebody is interested in buying a solution or, or something around that where there's uh, confidential data that they do not want to get out there. Mm -hmm. How safe mm -hmm. is my data? Well, and then we have the GDPR and the personal identifiable information, all of these regulations that are coming through about you have to kind of know what you have and where it is when it comes to people's personal data. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So what are some, if you look out into next year, we're kind of doing some planning for 2022, which is wild to me. I feel like we've all lost two years of our, or maybe I'm, I'm the only one that's lost two years of my life. It feels no, like. Feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. It's, Try climbing a mountain, you'll lose about five. And <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. So it's wild to think that we're planning 2022, but what are you looking at? What are some of your goals and initiatives that could be personal or professional for next year? Well, next year, personal, I hope I get married. Um, <laughs> well, you seem to be on a good track for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you and Julia both, y'all are the wedding crew. Y'all can talk talk shop. That's right. Um, professionally, you know, I want to add on to the value that's been built at Access Sciences over the years already and help us uncover and kind of break through uh, a ceiling of, you know, enterprise opportunities and enterprise programs of work. Um, I would like to um, help build upon the success that we've already had. You know, we've had great success so far, but just add another layer onto that so we can have what I call predictable, sustainable revenue. Mm -hmm. You know, that's big chunks of work with, you know, clients that know that they trust us and, you know, we can help them succeed, minimize their risk and, you know, have that long-term relationship. And um, that's kind of my goal. And, you know, there's a lot of pieces in place already and there's a lot of areas where we already have that. So I just hope to add to that and then find other ways to be creative with your help, of course, to find other avenues of revenue for us so we can, you know, sustain our growth and continue to be successful. Yeah, I think we have a great team. Minus Julia, but that's okay. <laughs> we just got to bring her back to Houston. We got to bring her back over to our side. I know. So we have a few events coming up for the remainder of this year and even next year. Where can tell us where people can find us at? Well, uh, I know that we're going to Texas State stuff, right? December 2nd and 3rd. Mm-hmm. Yes. Task. Mm-hmm. We'll be at State of the State. That should be a yeah, great State event. Of State. Sorry, I don't know all the correct lingo yet. But <laughs> from what I understand, the sponsorship sold out in minutes, right? So Two minutes, they were gone. Yeah, that's that's crazy to me. Uh, I think that that's going to be a great opportunity for us. You know, looking at the overall history there, you know, it's been uh, a nice steady flow of, of revenue for us, but also too, lots of opportunities have come out of that realm of our business. So I hope to, you know, capitalize on that and get some other things going. We obviously have the golf outing here soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got some things going into early next year. I'm sorry, I'm going to deflect here and ask no, it's you, okay. Angela, the, the Kurt or the CII event? Mm-hmm. We'll be back at the Kurt CII joint conference in February in Orlando. Yeah. So looking forward to that. That's a great group of, it's a great crew. So I would say that, you know, from a marketing perspective, you know, we're being pretty active compared to uh, the average company of our size. Uh, so that's three events there, you know, we're averaging almost like one a month. And then we have stuff planned for the spring. Hopefully it gets approved, you know. Mm-hmm. Our good friend Star. <laughs> we have another uh, couple of things with the Houston Pipeliners Association that we could be a part of, and then uh, some other things as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I was pleasantly surprised to know that you know you guys are that active in the market and get to be in front of clients and prospects like that much. I think that's a great thing. Most people don't realize that companies our size they do about like one or two events a year, and for us, I mean. I'm excited because of our case study output and, you know, knowing that this is 
part of the other realm of it, I think we'll be able to continue our trends of upward success. And we'll have a great little road trip to Baton Rouge or not road trip or flying, but you know, great little yeah. air trip to Baton Rouge. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that too. So yeah, <laughs> uh, being able to do those things is, is necessary, right. To, to get our branding out there and get mm-hmm. things ready for us going into 2022, because, you know, we're going to definitely capture market share and, you know, we do that by letting people know we're out there. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to meet people, excited to get to know more about what we do, excited to hear clients give feedback and, you know, being on these trade shows, road shows, golf outings, whatever, you know, that, that really helps. Yep. So cheers to 2022 and welcome to the team. Thank you.